Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, May the 31st, 2015. I'm your host, Hookslide. Happy to have you along for the ride as we delve deep into the mystery of this past week in Tigers baseball. If you are a first-time listener, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at www.blessyouboys.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Bless You Boys. And you can search for Bless You Boys on Facebook. If you like our page, you'll start getting our Tigers-related content in your news feed. Well, there is no joy in Mudville, or in Motown for that matter, as the Tigers continue to perform like a 500 ball club, or frankly, quite lately, slightly worse than 500, going 2 for 5 in the past week, 22 of 23 since their hot 6-0 and start to the season, and now falling to three games back in the division, Good for third place in the American League behind the Royals and the Twins. And can I just say, good riddance, West Coast baseball. These late-night games, and I have the stats that I put on Twitter earlier this week. I don't have them right in, fr- right in front of me, but uh, honestly, what's the point of reading them at this point? It's, it's just sadness. The Tigers' record uh, against the Angels in Angels Stadium, I think they win about 20% of their games. It's probably a lower percentage now after these last three games. It's not a lot of fun this week, guys, and to help us dissect all of it, joining me this morning is Bless You Boys Managing Editor, Rob Rojacki. Rob, welcome back to the show. Good. It's good to be back. <laughs> it's uh, maybe maybe under better circumstances next time? Yeah, let's see if we can't get on a winning streak before I come on next time. <laughs> I will do my absolute best. Trust me. So as we kind of look back at this past week, uh, the Tigers going into, well, finishing up the series in, uh, with Houston on Sunday, then going into Oakland for three games, and now uh, dealing with this four-game series in, in Los Angeles um, against the Angels. The one thing that seems to obviously stick out the most is the continuing struggles with the offense. And uh, there was a stretch there, Rob, I think, where they had scored like six runs in five games. Um what uh, what are we to make of this? What is the underlying issue here? You know, it's really tough to pinpoint exactly what it is. Um, the Tigers have only scored six runs on their on their road trip so far. Or no, sorry, they scored twelve runs on their road trip. Uh, you know, with half of them coming in last night's loss. Um, mm. But you know, they it's just really kind of surprising that they haven't been able to put runs together. Um, you know, they're ranking among the league leaders in a lot of categories on base percentage. They're up there in batting average. You know, they're doing okay in slugging percentage. But uh, as Catherine pointed out yesterday in her post, um, you know, the slugging percentage is really just kind of 
being masked by the high batting average. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a lack of power, um, and, you know, they're straining a lot of guys on base, and the double plays definitely aren't helping. Um, but you'd think that a team that's getting on base and that has some individual numbers like the Tigers do would be scoring a lot more often. Yeah, let's talk a little bit further about what you mean by, um, you know, the, the high slugging percentage, the high on-base percentage being masked by uh, by the batting average. Well, the Tigers have a high batting average. Um, you know, one of the one of the top ones in the American League, and they're also getting on base at a high clip. But with uh, with slugging percentage, you know, that formula is part that formula there is partially due to the high batting average. Um, you know, if you look at their isolated power, which takes batting average out of the equation, they only rank 19th in the majors. Um, actually, they're 18th this morning after uh, after scoring a few runs last night. But still, a lot lower than you thought that a lineup with Miguel Cabrera, Ioannis Cespedes, and J.D. Martinez would have had. Yeah, it's definitely, it continues to be. I mean, I know we've talked about this, it seems like, on this show, week after week after week, you know, the mystery of when you have a lineup that is, uh, as uh, CC Sabathia said after the New York series, he said that 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 lineup should be illegal. You know, when you talk about the up and down with uh, Kinsler, Cabrera, JD Martinez, uh, at one point it was Victor Martinez in there too. But even uh, you know, I know you don't expect uh, you know forty uh, home run season out of Nick Castellanos, but you, you expect to see more than what you're seeing out of him. Who who seems to be the uh, I don't know how you. I hate to say the goat, but who seems to be the biggest culprit in that list right now? You know, lately it has to be Ian Kinsler. Um, you know, you gave me a mm. list of topics before the show today. Um, you mm. know, and we'll get to kind of the reason for that. The reason that I was looking at these numbers in a little bit, but uh, Kinsler is hitting just two forty one with a three nineteen on base percentage in the last few weeks. Um, and if you look at everyone else, everyone else is actually hitting the cover off the ball. You know, Cabrera's got a thousand mm. OPS. Uh, Cespedes is hitting, you know, almost 280 with a lot of, you know, pretty high slugging percentage. Uh, and J.D. Martinez is hitting 330 with a 400 on base percentage in the last three weeks. Um, even Nick wow. Castellanos, his numbers don't look great, but they're actually better than what they were in April right now. Um, so, you know, it's really just kind of surprising that they're not putting together many runs right now. Hmm. Yeah, and I know a lot of that, or at least some of it, you know, as I talked with uh, John Erkula last week, was um, we talked about the idea of cluster luck, you know, and this idea that uh, to score runs, you have to cluster hits together. Um, you know, you can have a, a individuals on the team with individually high batting averages, but if in, in a lineup during a game, if you can't cluster those hits one right after the other, you're not going to score many runs. And, um, you know, on the cluster luck table, the Tigers are actually sitting... Uh, in terms of run score due to cluster luck, they're sitting 29th out of 30 MLB teams right now with a negative run score uh, due to cluster luck. So, Rob, is there anything that they can even do about it, you know, outside of just hoping to get lucky and start stringing some of those hits together? I definitely think the luck plays partially into it. Um, you know, they've hit into a lot of double plays, and I think that a lot of that is due to just their high on-base percentage. They're getting on base more than other teams, uh, so they're going to hit into more double plays. Um, as I pointed out on the site, you know, a week or two ago, um, they're also hitting the ball on the ground a little bit more often, which I think comes with the territory of having a few more slack hitters like Anthony Ghost, Rajay Davis, and Jose Iglesias on the roster. Um, you know, those guys haven't been grounding into as many of the double plays as some of the slower 
some of the slower guys, but still um, you're getting a lot more runners on base than other teams, so you're going to be hitting into more double plays. Um, as far as both the, the double plays and the lack of run scoring goes, I think that the lack of power that we touched on uh, just a moment ago is really kind of hurting the Tigers in that regard. Um, you know, you get guys on base, and if you're hitting singles, you got to string two, three, four hits together before you start scoring any runs. Whereas a team like, you know, we've compared them a lot to the Astros over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, the Astros are hitting home runs in, in bunches. Um, and when you can drive the ball out of the park, you know, that's, you know, two, three, even four runs in a in a quick hurry. Um, and as far as the double play goes, when you get a guy, you know, on first base more often than second or third, you're obviously, you know, we have that double play situation set up. So I think that's part of the reason why they're hitting into so many as well. Yeah, it's amazing what the power of the home run will do for you, as we saw in that series with the Astros. And I know we'll get to Anibal Sanchez, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in a little bit here and talk about his issues. But as we saw in that that game last Sunday against the Astros, if you can hit, you know, as many home runs as they do, if you can lead at least the American League in home runs, then you can also afford to lead the league in strikeouts. And we saw with Sanchez on Sunday, he racked up what eleven or twelve strikeouts against the Astros, and yet still managed to give up seven earned runs and, and lost the game because, you know, like you said, if they can hit the home runs, uh, then you don't have to worry about stringing together four, five, six base hits. But the other thing I wanted to mention, Rob, is that it sure seems like in the last, I don't know, week's worth, maybe a little less than a week's worth, as we've watched the Tigers hit into double play after double play, lead the major leagues in double plays, on pace to possibly break a historical record for double plays, it seems like Brad Osmus has countered by putting more Tigers in motion on the bases and trying to steal bases, and it seems like we're watching them get now thrown out on the base paths a lot more. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Um, the Tigers are ranked below league average in uh, base running runs, a fan graph stat that tries to be kind of a catch-all for all things base running. Um, you know, they're still still uh, leading the league in stolen bases right now, but they're also running into outs a lot more often, too. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a product of the Tigers trying to get things together and trying to get, you know, get runners in motion and try to trying to jumpstart the offense, or if the guys that do have the green light are just picking bad spots to run in. Um, you know, they rank 29th out of the 30 uh, teams in the majors right now with negative 6.5 base running runs. Um, you know, it's not mm. too far off the league average, and even if you extrapolate it out to the end of the season. Um, you know, you're only talking about maybe a win or a win and a half worth of difference compared to the league average. But still, that adds up, you know, especially if they're hitting into more double plays, which the base running runs also takes into account. Um, you know, it, it, they've made some puzzling decisions on the base paths. Uh, they made one last night, too, when Miguel Cabrera tried to stretch a single into a double in the first inning. Um, right. You know, and that kind of came back to bite them at the end. You know, Brad Austin, Brad Austin has challenged it. Um, and didn't get the didn't get the call to go in his favor, even though it you know Cabrera may have been safe, but there wasn't really a conclusive angle to it. Um, but then there was another moment later in the game that Osmus could have challenged, but he didn't have that challenge available. Um, mm. You know, and it, and it really kind of just comes back to an unnecessary decision by by Cabrera to really try to stretch that into an extra base hit. Uh, you know, he's not one of the faster guys on the team. And while he's probably not going to score from first on a double, um, you know, there really wasn't much of a need to just try to stretch that when you've got Cespedes and J.D. Martinez, who have been hitting well lately, coming up behind him. Hmm. 
And we, I keep hearing this term that we're using all throughout this podcast and as we have conversations throughout the week. We keep talking about league average, league average, league average, and how the Tigers are either just slightly below it or just slightly above it in, in a lot of different categories. And uh, it's maybe important to remember that that's exactly how they're performing right now is they're performing like a league average team, not worse than. I mean, they're not sitting in last place, you know, in a 10-game losing streak, but they are certainly performing like a league average stringing together about a 500 record in the last, I don't know, since that 6-0 start. Like I said, they're only one one uh, one win under 500 for that 6-0 stretch. So you have to wonder, what is the piece that uh, that they need that kind of puts them back up over that 500 mark? And, uh, Rob, I wanted to ask you specifically about the uh, how the offense is, is performing with and without Alex Avila. And I was looking back on... You know the uh, the staff since he's uh, since he's been gone. I didn't realize yeah, he's actually been out for a little over three weeks now. I, I didn't realize it had been that long. And uh, in that period since he's been gone, uh, they're ten and twelve. And in the time that, that that he was with them, they were eighteen and eleven. Is it possible? I mean, I know that's kind of a weird way to look at the stats, and it's hard to gauge individual performance in that. But is it possible that maybe he was a bigger contributor to the offense than than people realize? I don't know if Avila is you know, the big offensive contributor that the Tigers needed. Um, you know, obviously his on-base percentage helps. Um, but like I said earlier, I was looking back at some of the stats over the last three weeks, some of the individual numbers. And, you know, there are a lot of players in the Tigers' offense that are hitting well. You know, we already touched upon Cabrera, Cespedes, and Martinez. Um, Nick Castellanos is only hitting 244 with a 281 on-base percentage. But believe it or not, that's actually better than his season-long numbers. Um, James McCann is hitting well with 277 average and a 329 on base percentage. You know, that's not as high as Avila's OBP would be, but it's still you're pretty respectable for a catcher. Um, Jose Iglesias is hitting 320 over the last three weeks. Uh, Anthony Ghost is hitting 329. Um, you know, Rajay Davis has been kind of scuffling with a 314 on base percentage. Um, but, you know, you've got guys getting on base in front of the big bats, and for whatever reason, they just haven't been able to string runs together. So possibly Avila is is a contributor, but maybe not as big as we think, uh, because like you said, it seems like James McCann is more than adequately you know filling that that spot. So that kind of maybe shifts the spotlight a little bit to obviously Victor Martinez and what his role is in this whole thing when he gets back. Yeah, um, you, the Tigers really are missing Martinez's bet, and I'm not talking about the guy that you know has been scuffling along this season. Um, or the guy that went bananas last season with 32 home runs. Um, you know, they're just missing kind of that steady presence within the middle of the lineup, the guy that can drive the ball to all fields, um, you know, and can rack up, you know, 30, 40 doubles in the season. Um, you know, it's a, a dangerous bat that they're missing right now. And, you know, they've been, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me what the designated hitter, what Tigers designated hitters are doing since he, uh, hit the disabled this, but it can't be much better than what he was doing, even on a hobbled leg. Hmm. Yeah, like I said, you don't have the stats necessarily in front of us uh, for that, but it, it does seem, you know, when you go by the eye test these last couple of games, there have been several points for me at least, you know, where, where Cabrera has come up in the lineup and either been, you know, intentionally walked or you have a situation where the DH is coming up and you feel like, boy, it would be really nice to have a healthy Victor Martinez, even if it's not, like you said, the 2014 version that's going crazy, but just that steady guy who's going to who's going to make contact, who's going to put the ball in play, you know, in, in some way, and, and kind of move things along. Um, if we shift gears, though, Rob, 
moving a little bit off of the offense uh, subject, why is Anibal Sanchez giving up so many home runs? I mean, we, we were looking at these numbers. Uh, his last start actually was, was pretty good. Uh, I think it was just two earned runs that he gave up. Uh, and uh, But he did give up a home run in that game, and that just kind of brings back you know, the memories of the previous start last Sunday against the Astros when he gave up, goodness, was it two or three home runs in that game and seven earned runs. Rob, I was looking back at his at his career stats, and he gave up as many as 20 home runs in both 2011 and 2012. But if we assume an average 34-start uh, season for him, that's just an average uh, pace, then he is set to give up 37 home runs by the end of this year, and that's going to well surpass you know the numbers that he posted in 2011 and 2012. Now, I'm not saying he's actually going to do that. It just gives you an idea of the pace that he's on. But do we have any idea why it is that he's giving up so many home runs at this point after having success with that over the last couple of years? You know, like the offense, uh, Anibal Sanchez's struggles are just a pure mystery. Um, you know, this guy has been one of the most consistent pitchers in baseball as far as limiting home runs go. Um, you know, you said that he gave up 20 home runs in 2011 and 2012, but that's actually not too many for a pitcher that's making 30, 32, 33 starts a season like Sanchez does, uh, at least when he was healthy. Um you know, the, the, the home runs this year are just kind of a mystery with him. He's not hitting his spots like he usually does with his location, but at the same time, he's still striking out a lot of batters. He's only walking two and a half batters per nine innings, a pretty good, you know, a pretty good rate for a guy uh, of, you know, with his type of stuff. Um, for whatever reason, he's just getting into bad spots and leaving the ball out over the plate. Um, I thought he looked really good in his last start, actually, against the Angels. You know, he gave up the one home run to Albert Pujols, but apparently, as we've seen throughout the series, every Tigers pitcher is giving up home runs to Albert Pujols. Uh, So I don't know if that's necessarily something that we need to be worried about. You know, I was very encouraged with how he looked there. Um, I kind of joked about this on Twitter that, you know, the Angels started that night. Hedger Santiago drew a pair of lines down, uh, down the middle of the mound at the start of the game. Uh, it was something that Rob and Mario made a really big deal about uh, at the start of the game. And, you know, I was joking about it, but maybe that's something that Sanchez needs to do as far as uh, mm. getting his plant foot down when he's going through his motion and not letting himself fly open. I know that that's something that the uh, the TV announcers had talked about in the past uh, with him and that he was not necessarily finishing his delivery as well as he usually does. And maybe that's the reason why he's leaving the ball up and opposing hitters are getting to it. Yeah, I have to wonder how much of this, again, is just kind of a weird luck-based thing. Because when you start looking at some of the peripherals, like his ground ball to fly ball rate, he's not that far off the league average, you know, in terms of the number of fly balls that he's giving up. But when you look at the fly ball to home run rate, his fly ball to home run rate is actually double the league average right now. And so you kind of look at that and think, how is that possible that he's giving giving up roughly the same amount of fly balls to ground balls as everybody else, and yet every fly ball he's giving up turns into a home run. Yeah, and that part of it may be a little bit luck-based. Um, you know, that the home run for fly ball ratio of 15%, uh, what Sanchez is allowing that right now is a little bit unsustainable. Um, so maybe we'll start to see those numbers kind of come back to earth a little bit. But at the same time, um you know, the weather's going to start getting warmer and the ball may even start flying out a little bit more. Um, you know, it's kind of puzzling with him. Um, I'm taking a look at his fan crafts numbers right now and he's allowing hard contact 
uh, 29% of the time. Um, you know, I'm not sure exactly how reliable these stats are yet. This is kind of a new area for sabermetrics and everything. Um, but he's allowing a little bit more hard contact than he had in the past couple of years, and that's potentially why he could be uh, allowing more of these home runs. You know, maybe opposing hitters are just simply hitting the ball harder against him, and that's why the ball's flying out. It's really kind of a mystery. Yeah. And it does seem to be that way when you watch him pitch, when you watch these games, that, you know, he is making outs, but certainly along the way, a lot of those outs that he's making, it seems like, are are the hard outs. You know, the, the line drives into the outfield, or the long fly balls to the warning track. So, yeah, definitely giving up a, a little more hard contact than I think we'd like to see. We're talking here on the Bless You Boys podcast with site uh, managing editor Rob Rojacki about this week in Tigers baseball. Rob, as we talk about Sanchez and his implosions, which he's done a, a couple times this year, uh, we have to talk also about Shane Green and the fact that he just imploded again last night, and that's not the first time this year that he's had this problem. But in the midst of all of this, Alfredo Simon is keeping pace with David Price, and uh, I'd like to call these two a pair of aces at this point. Can Simon keep this up, and is there really anything in his in his peripherals uh, to suggest that a regression is coming? I'm looking at specifically the fact that he's got the uh, a 283 uh, batting average on balls in play against him right now. That's a little bit less than the league average. Um, what does Simon look like going forward? You know, before the season, we were looking at Alfredo Simon's uh, second half numbers from 2014 and saying, you know, there's no way that he's going to be able to repeat what he did in the first half when he went to the All-Star game in 2014. Um, you know, he had a super low batting average on balls in play in the first half last season. And I think that was a big reason why he was so successful. Um, you know, and once that once that batting average on balls and play regressed, um, you know, he was really kind of a pretty mediocre starter. He had a ERA of four and a half uh during the second half, um, and really just you know, was kind of uh, you know, your typical fifth starter that would eat innings. You know, there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, um, but I think the biggest gripe from Tiger Sands is that, you know, we could have probably gotten that out of, you know, some combination of Kyle Lopsing and Buck Farmer. Um, hmm. But now that we've seen, you know, for whatever reason, Simon is really kind of repeating his first half numbers from, from last season. Um, but he's doing it without the low batting average on balls in play. You know, 283 batting average on balls in play really isn't that too, really isn't that low for a starter, especially one uh, like Simon who's giving up a lot of soft, soft contact. Um, he's actually giving up more fly balls this year than he usually does. He's usually been kind of a ground ball heavy type of guy. Um, you know, maybe it's mm. him kind of adjusting to the park that he's playing in. Uh, you know, he's really played in some band boxes throughout his career at, in Baltimore and in Cincinnati. And now that he's pitching, you know, somewhere where, you know, as we know with Comerica Park, fly balls go to die. Um, you know, maybe he's kind of mm-hmm. adjusting his his arsenal and his uh and his location to that. Uh we'd have to take a little bit closer look at the numbers to see exactly how that's materializing, but he's uh getting more fly balls compared to ground balls uh this season than he has, you know, actually in any season in his career now that I'm looking at it. Um you know, and for whatever reason it's it's been working for him. So hopefully this little long layoff that he's had uh won't affect him too much. Yeah, and it does sound like I think the latest word we heard is that he's returning and should be able to make his next scheduled start, I want to say next Tuesday. Is that what you heard as well? Yep, I saw that. He's going to be starting on Tuesday against the A's, uh, according to reports. 
Um, and that actually sets the Tigers' rotation up pretty well for the next week. I was looking forward at it. Um, and uh, Simon's going to be starting on Tuesday with, um, I believe it was Sanchez at the start on Wednesday, Green on Thursday. And then you'll have a weekend rotation of uh, Price, Justin Verlander, if he comes back from this rehab start well, and uh, Alfredo Simon in the series against the White Sox. Not too bad. That's uh, it's a murderer's row of pitchers in, in, in some respects. And we'll talk a little bit more about Justin Verlander's rehab and when to expect him back in a little bit. I wanted to talk just briefly, though, about one other uh, one other uh, kind of glaring issue in the last couple of weeks, and that's uh, the issue of Hernan Perez. Uh, we all know, you know, kind of how how ugly those stats look right now for him on his offense. Uh, he's you know only batting 061. He's getting on base. His on base percentage is uh, 088. His his OPS is a staggering 149. But as I look into some of his peripherals and notice that his batting average on balls in play is is less than than one right now. It's a 091. Um, Comparing that to his uh, his performance in Toledo last year, in 596 plate appearances, that he did end up slashing 287, 331, 404 for an OPS of 735. Uh, is there any hope, Rob, that that Herdon Perez can pick things up uh, on the offensive side of things? And and if not, then why in the world has he made three starts in the last week? I definitely think there's reason to believe that he could pick things up offensively. Um, you know, I don't know of any real major league hitter that's going to hit that poorly over, you know, sustained period, um, especially one that's not a pitcher. Um, you know, I looked at some of his numbers, and unfortunately, Hernan Perez is actually hitting worse than Bartolo Colon, which is, you know, just amazing <laughs> given some of his, uh, given some of Bartolo Colon's at-bats we've seen in JIF form over the last few oh, years. My. Um, but you know, Hernan, you know, Perez did put up some decent numbers at Toledo last season, and with a 3.30 on base percentage, that's not bad. He stole 21 bases for the Mud Hens, um, so he's got a little bit of a little bit of speed once he gets on base. Um, you know, maybe he's just for whatever reason not ready to make that jump yet. He's uh, you know, still only he just turned 24 earlier this year, um, so you know, he's still a fairly young guy, and I don't know if he's ever going to be he doesn't really have a starter's upside i don't know if he you know has the has the, the bat for that or the uh or the eye at the plate his walk rate in his minor league seasons have been pretty low um but you know he should be able to you know hit 200 maybe 250 or something like that uh you know and be kind of a useful utility player you know it's it really kind of stinks and he definitely does look overmatched right now i don't think that the batting average on balls in play is just a matter of him being unlucky he does look overmatched at the plate um you know i don't know if that if that means that the tigers need to try to force him through waivers or what uh you know i would kind of like to see them try to do that at this point with him um especially with uh you know a little bit of a middle infield talent that they have in the minor leagues right now i think they could afford to lose him if they if they do try to go that route. Um, but I think that they're, you know, they're, he's not going to hit, you know, 60 or 70 or whatever his batting average right now is the rest of the season. So, you know, part of it is just having to be patient. Part of it is just, you know, don't worry so much about the 25th guy on the roster. You know, he's not going to be Miguel Cabrera. No no 25th guy is going to hit 300 with 10, 12 home runs or whatever. So I think we just kind of got to be patient a little bit with him and hope for the best. 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree that, you know, you don't worry about the 25th guy in the roster like that and don't expect, you know, a, a Cabrera-like performance out of him. But at the same time, it does. It, it was a little puzzling to me. I understood why he made the start uh, on Memorial Day. It was kind of one of those weird, uh, you know, classic Leland Sunday-style lineups where, uh, you know, a lot of the starters were, were getting a day off. And I understood why, the, why you need Perez in that situation. But then even uh, as, as recently as Friday, in the game against uh, against the Angels, why they moved Nick Castellanos to the DH position and uh, decided to put Perez as the starter at third base. It sure seems like with three uh, you know three starts just this week, it seems like the team is somewhat committed to getting him a certain number of at bats. And uh, like you said, Rob, he's you know not all of that BABIP is uh, is bad luck. His line drive rate is only fourteen percent, and his ground ball rate is pushing fifty percent. So I mean, he does look overmatched. But you have to wonder why they're giving him so many starts then, um, you know, and, and whether that is, uh, I don't know, I could theorize about it and say they don't want to push him through waivers because maybe they're holding on to him, hoping to make him a trade piece at the deadline, in which case they want to get him some more at-bats. They want to give him a chance to push those stats up so that he looks a little more appealing when uh, when July rolls around and he becomes a trade piece. I don't know if we need to worry so much about the starts he's been getting on the West Coast trip. Um, you know, he got two starts against Oakland, but you got to remember that Jose Iglesias was on the bench with the knee contusion then, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. the uh, the Tigers had many other options in the infield. You know, they had Dixon Machado up from Toledo, and they still had Andrew Romine. But, I, you know, I, I'm not going to worry too much about the two starts he got there. Um, I would like to kind of go off on a tangent here and talk about the Memorial Day game. Uh, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. this is the second year in a row that the Tigers have been scheduled to play an afternoon game in Oakland on the West Coast mm-hmm. on Memorial Day after playing a day game uh, on Sunday on the East Coast. Um, you know, and yeah. for whatever reason, they've continued to do this kind of little Memorial Day matchup with the A's, which is all well and good, but the Tigers have been outscored 14 to nothing in the last two years. Um, so you got to kind of wonder <laughs> if, you know, there's a fatigue factor going on there. Um, yeah. Anyway, getting getting back on topic with Perez here. I don't think we need to worry too much about the starts he's been getting. He got, you know, one start against a left-hander uh, on Friday, and he actually hit the ball fairly hard in one of the at-bats. He which did. Kind of, kind of grasping at straws here. Um, you know, hit a decent little, I don't know if I want to call it a line drive, but I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there, um, <laughs> into center field, and that was kind of snagged on the run by Mike Trout. Um, you know, had mm. that dropped, that would have been Perez's first RBI of the year. Uh, and his first hit in the month of May. Mm, no, I, and I'm going to go on a little rant of my own there, just because. Listen, I, you know, I'm not a Hernan Perez apologist, you know, but but neither am I going to knock the guy. Um, you know, it's, it's clear that he needs more appearances at the plate if he's ever going to, you know, make any kind of adjustment and get any kind of improvement on these numbers. So it's kind of one of these growing pain things where, you know, like I said, if you're going to get stuck with him. You know, you got to find find the silver lining in there somewhere. And, uh, you know, I understand that if people don't like the guy, that's fine. And if you don't like the fact that Osmus is playing him, you know, a little more than you'd like him to, that's fine too. But, you know, when the guy gets up there and, and uh, like you said, Rob puts the bat on the ball, we'll call it a line drive, you know, <laughs> grating on the Perez scale. Um, that should have dropped in for a base hit. Mike Trout made a great running catch to get it. And and still, at least on my Twitter timeline, people were exploding again, you know, and saying, oh, there it is. You know, there's there's Hernan Perez, and why is he even out here? And I thought, well, at least, you know, give him some credit, because that, that at least should have been should have been the base hit. So, 
shifting gears yet again, Rob. It feels like, anyway, this team slump has been going on forever. And yet, I think uh, some people forget that last year there was an entire month from May the 19th through June the 18th where the team went on a slump of 29 games. In those 29 games, the Tigers were 9-20. and 20. Now, certainly this uh, this experience is, is nowhere near you know, as bad as that, the last 29 games. They're playing closer to 500 ball. But let's talk a little bit about what those two slumps look like, how, how they do compare. Are you with me, Rob? There we go. Sorry, I got caught with my mute button on uh, for a moment there. <laughs> okay. um, you know, the, the Tigers have definitely kind of been – I don't even want to know if I want to call it slumping at this point. They're just kind of shuffling along. Um, and I think part of that is due to the injuries they've had. Um, you know, even though Kyle Lopstein has pitched well, they've been without Justin Verlander. Uh, Anibal Sanchez hasn't been pitching uh, up to his usual standards, and the Tigers are missing Victor Martinez as well. Um, but they're still only three games out of first place right now, which is, you know, pretty good. Um you know, mm-hmm. given the kind of the hot start that Kansas City has been off to and whatever it is that the Minnesota Twins are doing. Um, you know, I was looking back, the Tigers have been actually a below 500 team over the last couple of weeks since they took two or three yeah. from the St. Louis Cardinals in St. Louis. But at the same time, you kind of got to look at the teams they played. Um, you know, they took two or three out west in Oakland, which is pretty good. Um, they split with the Astros, which, you know, you can kind of um, – you complain about one of the games that they probably should have won, uh, you know, maybe taken three or four from the Astros who have the best record of the American League right now. But even splitting with them isn't, you know, the end of the world. Um, the problem is that they, you know, they lost two or three at home against the Milwaukee Brewers who have baseball's worst record yeah. right now. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they can't seem to find a way to win in Los Angeles. Um, you know, it's definitely not the end of the world. <laughs> you know, if the Tigers beat L.A. tonight – uh, you know, they've got a good shot of it with David Price on the mound. Uh, they'll be three and four on this West Coast road trip, which is, you know, not too bad, all things considered. Uh, you know, if you can go just under 500 like that on the West Coast, I think that's kind of a almost a victory in itself. Um, you know, and if they can, you know, hopefully pick up a game on either the Twins or the Royals today, I think they're still in a good spot. They've been much further behind uh, in the division in recent years at this point in the season. Um, so I don't think there's really anything to be too worried about with them yet. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see what happens when they get some of their guys back, you know, they get Justin Verlander back, they get Victor Martinez back, uh, and we'll see what happens with the team then. Yeah, like you said, you know, it's it's uh, it's tough to lose three like that to the Angels. And at the same time, that really is not uh... – part and parcel of the slump, so to speak, or the shuffling, so to speak. That's just, uh, that's Tigers baseball for the last four or five years. They cannot seem to win in Los Angeles. And like I said, I think it was over the last 10 years since two or five years, rather since 2010, that when they play uh, in Anaheim, uh, they're, they're only winning at like a 20% clip. I, I would kind of chalk that whole thing up to just, that's, uh, you know, that's Los Angeles. It's, it's the way they play. Um, but, you know, we talk about some of the luck factors and how things don't seem to be going the Tigers' way. And I have to look at this, this series in Oakland earlier this week and think that that's one example of where the luck really swung in the Tigers' direction. Because if you're only going to score four runs over the course of three games, 
there's no way that should translate into a you know two and one win record on that trip. And somehow they made it work. And one of those days, they had no starter. They had to pitch the entire bullpen to get through it. Yeah, that that series is definitely uh, kind of one that you chalk up to thanking the baseball gods for. Um, I don't think there's really any way that they should have won two games out of three in Oakland, but you know that's kind of kind of the luck of the draw, I guess. You know, Oakland's been struggling right struggling this season. Um, they uh, they have the worst record in the American League right now, and you know sometimes it's just kind of getting lucky in who you play when you play them. Um, and with the with the bullpen start, I want to touch on that specifically. Um, man, the 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 change between last year and this year with the bullpen is night and day. Mm-hmm. Um, can you yes. can you even imagine what you would have been thinking if you know the Tigers would have told us that they were going to use the bullpen for an entire game in 2014? Mm-hmm. I think people would have mm-hmm. lost their minds. Uh, Comerica Park might have been burned to the ground, for all we know. Um, you know the, the the fan base would have rioted. And this year, you know that everyone says, oh. Well, you know, maybe they'll even be better. And they actually did go out and win that game incredibly. Um, you know, last night the bullpen goes, what was it, six, seven innings with allowing just one run. Yeah. Um, you know, that yeah. I don't know if there were stretches of six or seven innings where the bullpen did that at all in 2014. Um, you know, it's really right. been kind of amazing to see this group of pitchers come together. Um, you know, you've got some new blood in Alex Wilson, who's been amazing. Uh, Joaquin Soria, who's been everything that the Tigers expected when they traded for him last July, um, as well as some other guys. Al Albuquerque's been coming around. Blaine Hardy is proving me wrong and really coming around and pitching well. Um, and then you've got uh, other contributions from Angel Nesbitt and Tom Gorzolani along the way, too. Um, so, you know, it's nice to see that <laughs> at least one of, the, one of the things that the Tigers tried to address in the offseason is really starting to click. Yeah, it really is. And I think we have to acknowledge that fact because, I mean, just for me personally, for so long, it's been, you know, second nature or force of habit just to say, oh, the bullpen, the bullpen, the bullpen, you know, it's that big problem spot that it continues to be a problem spot. And I mean, certainly there have been moments this year when it has been a problem spot and, they, and they've been, uh, you know, they've, they've blown leads or they've blown games or they've failed to keep the game within check uh, early on in the season. But I think at this point, we have to acknowledge that they are a much, much, much improved uh, bullpen core over last year and uh personally just for me the evidence of that fact was was friday night's game when the tigers were losing two to nothing to the angels and they were in a situation where i think they had a couple runners in scoring position and uh, it and they might have been the bases loaded with uh, cespedes at the bat but we were talking about the possibility of you know one swing of the bat could put the tigers ahead by one or two runs and i swear to you rob i actually thought within myself i thought oh if they could just get a one run lead and get it to the bullpen, we could shut this thing down. And I caught myself thinking that and thought, I would have never thought that last year. I would have never thought, just get them a one-run lead and get it to the bullpen. No, definitely not. Um, you know, it's really nice to to be able to go in the later innings and actually kind of depend on your relief core to, to close things down. Um, you know, we said earlier this year that losing Joe Nathan would kind of be a detriment to them um, but it really hasn't turned out to be the case. Uh, Joaquin Soria has obviously locked down the ninth inning, um, but the, the kind, of, kind of concern there when the Tigers lost Nathan is what would happen in the innings before that? Um, and just about mm-hmm. everyone else has stepped up to really kind of deliver, 
Um, even Jabba Chamberlain, you know, he had the, the meltdown against the, the White Sox earlier this year. But, you know, despite the high line drive rate and, you know, kind of all the metrics saying, you know, this shouldn't continue, he's actually not looked too bad. Um, his fastball has definitely looked better than it did a year ago, and he seems a lot more comfortable throwing that pitch uh, and, you know, keeping hitters from sitting on his slider. And we're talking Tigers baseball here on the Blushy Boys podcast with Rob Rojacki, site editor, managing editor at BlushyBoys.com. As we kind of downshift here to get the get out of this episode and uh, wind up this this edition of the podcast, Rob, I wanted to talk about a couple different things that are kind of outside the last week of Tigers baseball, namely the trade rumors and the injury updates. And uh, a couple of days back, I want to say maybe Thursday, maybe it was Friday, uh, I saw something come out of uh, on Twitter. I think it was John Heyman at CBS that had uh, posted out, tweeted out uh, an MLB trade rumor uh, that the Tigers were on a list of teams that were possibly interested in uh, picking up Ryan Howard. So that's been kind of out there and floating around. Just wanted to get your, your thoughts on whether that's uh, even a possibility or a remote possibility. And if it is, is that a good move, a bad move, an indifferent move? I don't know if the Tigers are actually showing any sort of interest in Ryan Howard. Um, you know, he has not hit very well this season at all. He's slugging 506 and has 10 home runs for the Phillies. Um but he also has a 291 on base percentage uh, and doesn't really have a position. Uh, the reason for the Ryan Howard rumors is that Matt Adams, the first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals, tore his quad muscle and is going to be out for just about the rest of the season. You know, the the Cardinals are potentially hoping that he could come back in late September uh, in time for a playoff run. But uh, you know, Ryan Howard, who is a St. Louis native has kind of been linked to the Cardinals. It seems kind of like a natural fit for sports writers looking for something to write about. Um, but and it seems like the, the interest in trading Howard is very one-sided right now in that the Phillies are looking to get rid of him in any way possible, but the uh, but no one else is really biting. Um, Howard is getting paid $25 million this year. He still has another season of $25 million left on his contract and has a $23 million team option for 2017, which is a lot of money. And then you consider that that 2017 option, which no one's going to pick up because he will be 37 years old, uh, has a $10 million buyout to it. Um, So Ruben Amaro, (laughs) Philly's GM Ruben Amaro has dug himself a hole uh, that he is just not (laughs) going to be able to get out of unless he picks up the entirety of that deal. Um, And I I... I don't see Howard getting moved at all this summer. Um, I don't think that the Cardinals are going to to bite on that at all, and I don't see anyone else being even remotely interested in having Howard uh, having Howard on their team. And that certainly would put the Tigers a lot further down the list than I think Heyman had them at like number five on the list of ten. And I, I would have to agree with you, Rob. I can't imagine too many teams, any of the, the the other 29 teams, being terribly interested in picking up that, that contract, at least not for the production that Howard is giving them right now. Uh, least of all, the Tigers, who, you know, as we've said, are, are expecting to, uh, you know, basically experience kind of a, a windfall here uh, in the next couple of weeks when they start to get Alex Avila back, when they get uh, uh, Victor Martinez back. I mean, just those two alone, you get those guys back in the lineup, and why do you need to trade for Ryan Howard? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Um, even if Victor Martinez is out for a few more weeks, um, you know, I, I kind of suspect that Martinez will be out for a little bit longer than people are suspecting. Um, 
for whatever reason, you know, it, it, it kind of just doesn't add up to me with him. Um, I know we're kind of going to talk about Martinez a little bit more in a, in a bit. Um, but with him, you know, he, he goes on the DL one day after kind of tweaking his knee, it seemed, when he was running to first base. Um, now he's not with his team. He's in Orlando, uh, not necessarily in Lakeland where, you know, the team has their facilities and extended spring training and all that. But he's working out with some, you know, a trainer of some sort in Orlando. Um, it just kind of doesn't add up to me, and it almost makes me wonder if he may have tweaked his knee and or did a little bit more damage there, and that's the reason why he's, you know, off with this, you know, in this di- this different area. It just doesn't really add up, um, and I don't know if this is necessarily this the uh, rest him for two weeks and get him back in the lineup situation that everyone was hoping that, that the Tigers would do a month ago. Yeah, that is a very strange situation. I did want to talk to you a little bit further about kind of the in-depth uh, details of, you know, what what you know and what you suspect. Um, with the, you know, Vimar in particular, I know at the beginning of this whole season and, and things were kind of not going well for him, and you wrote a, a piece um, for the site, a response, I think, to a mailbag question as to whether they should put him on the disabled list, and, and you were of the opinion that uh, no, they shouldn't, because it's not necessarily an issue of pain. It was an issue of, uh, you know, strengthening and mobility. And the only way for him to kind of rehab that is to play through it and to actually be taking swings at the, you know, in, in major league games. And uh, certainly as as they then moved him to the disabled list, it seemed like we were hearing the same kind of thing, you know, out of the Detroit Tigers camp confirmation that, yeah, it's not necessarily pain. It's, you know, it's a strengthening issue, which kind of made me wonder, Rob, why why, why did they put him on the disabled list to begin with then? Well, I think the reason they put him on the disabled list, you know, assuming he didn't do any more damage to the knee with that, with that base running, you know, tweak or whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, mm. Martinez just kind of wasn't progressing like he should have. Um, you know, you, he was slowly progressing and starting to look a little bit more comfortable at the plate, but for whatever reason, he he wasn't, you know, getting stronger, get, looking any better, um, even with even with, you know, playing every day and taking swings and everything that a lot of people were kind of worried about him not doing or doing a little bit more damage with, uh, he should have been progressing quicker than that. Um, and for whatever reason, he hasn't been. And now he's finally decided to put him on the disabled list. Um, I was kind of at the beginning of the beginning of the year that the Tigers may have rushed him back a little bit. You know, he didn't look too comfortable during a lot of his swings during spring training, uh, but then he goes and hits a home run, and well, I think it was the last game of spring training, and then all of a sudden he gets activated for opening day. Um, I thought there was a big mm. difference in how he looked versus how Miguel Cabrera looked in their respective swings uh, during the spring, um, and I think that, you know, maybe the Tigers kind of rushed things back a little bit, uh, and Martinez could have benefited from a week or two on the disabled list to start the year. So if he's not getting swings in live games, then uh, Rob, how is how is he uh, rehabbing? If 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 it's an issue of you know needing to kind of play through it and build up the strength and conditioning that kind of thing, how does he get that now if he's not actually at the plate taking live at bats? Well, it seems like with the with how slowly he was progressing, there may have been you know a little bit of irritation or inflammation or whatever you want to call it in his knee going on, uh, and I think part of that is just kind of needing a little bit of rest. Um, for, you know, for whatever reason, you know, it seemed like he would have progressed quicker than he did. Um, 
But with him, I think that a little bit of rest, a little bit more focused rehab and not having to go through the rigors of playing every day and and traveling and all the different things that can kind of impact the player, um, you know, hopefully we'll see a quick a quicker recovery from him. But at the same time, you know, with this whole situation of him being in Orlando, um, you know, with the I, I don't know. I guess you want to call it a mystery trainer or whatever. It doesn't really add up to me. So I think there's more, something more to this than what we're seeing. And we are just about out of time here, Rob. So as we press toward the finish line, let's quickly go over uh, the other three missing pieces to this puzzle. And, and Bruce Rondone, Alex Avila, and uh, Justin Verlander, just kind of briefly, maybe quickly touch on, on those three pieces and when when we expect them back. Well, I guess we'll start with Rondon. Um, he made the he's made back-to-back appearances for the Mudheads in the last couple of days. Um, didn't look too good in the first one. Uh, I saw that he had allowed a few runs in uh, in inning of work on Saturday night uh, or on Friday night. Um, but then on Saturday he pitched a scoreless inning for Toledo uh, and looked pretty good doing it by all accounts. So I, I would imagine that the Tigers will make a decision on him within the next few days. Uh, we could see him in Detroit as early as Tuesday. Um, you know, I personally would kind of like to see the Tigers option Rondon to the minors um, because I think that the bullpen is pitching well right now. There's not a huge need for him. And I think that just developmentally, he could probably stand to have a few more innings in Toledo. Um, his command was never really that sharp when he was pitching for them in 2013. Um, and this is still the first year after his Tommy John surgery. So you'd kind of like to see them have a little bit more control over over his his innings and his outings. Um, so I think that, you know, they could kind of almost consider him kind of the bullet in the chamber, if you want to go with that reference, um, mm. and leave him in the minor leagues for now until, you know, something comes along and maybe he gets called up later this season. Uh, with Justin Verlander, he is scheduled to make – a rehab start for the uh, for the Mudheads today while they're pitching in Indianapolis or while they're playing in Indianapolis. Um, based on everything I've read with that, it seems like if he looks good in that start, doesn't have any pain afterwards, he'll be up in Detroit to make a start this weekend against the White Sox. Um, it seems like the Tigers have gone the the correct route with him so far, and that he will probably be. You know, it seems like he'll be good to go. Uh, based on how this outing goes. Um, I I was kind of chuckling at myself earlier. I was looking back. Uh, This will be Verlander's first ever appearance in AAA ball. Um, So I think that's kind of an an interesting little tidbit and a nice nice little treat for Mudheads fans that are able to get out to Indianapolis for that game. Um, Mm. And as far as Avila goes, it seems like he's going to be getting back to quote-unquote baseball activities. Uh, this week, um, you know, yeah, I don't know how quickly he will progress with that. Uh, you know, being a catcher, that's definitely a lot more taxing on his knees than any other position on the diamond. So we'll see kind of how he feels as he gets back into uh, doing, you know, squatting behind the plate and calling a game, things like that. Um, the Tigers have said that if he goes on a rehab assignment, it won't be a terribly long one. Uh, but you've got to kind of wonder how his knee is going to hold up to catching nine innings uh, throughout a game, you know, squatting behind the plate for 20, 30 pitches in the inning, things like that. So that's going to be kind of a play it by year situation as we go along. Yeah. And it's uh, like you said, there doesn't necessarily have to be a rush with that, uh, you know, with the Vila's knees. I know he's kind of getting up there in years a little bit, um, you know, uh, 
there's uh, with with the option there of James McCann, and I think again he has acquitted himself marvelously so far uh, in in this 2015 season. There doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of necessity there to say we got to throw Avila back out, you know, as the the, the full time starter 90 percent of the time. You know, it, like you said, it would be nice to see um, you know to see to see them play cautiously with him and and give him a little bit more maybe 50 50 you know platoon time with uh, with McCann because they can. Yeah, they definitely can. Um, and you almost wonder at this point, you know, with Avila coming off the disabled list, but Victor Martinez still being there, if the Tigers will carry three catchers for a little while. Um, mm. You know, you got Brian Holiday, who has only had 17 at-bats, but he's, you know, hit fairly well in those at-bats. He's got a couple doubles and a homer. Um, he's played well in the limited action he's gotten. And as you said, uh, James McCann has really looked good in, in his playing time. Um but the Tigers have a big hole in the middle of that lineup. Uh, they definitely need a left-handed bat. So, you know, you might see Pavila DHing a little bit uh, to go along as he kind of progresses through this rehab. Um, you know, he can kind of DH during the day, and then, you know, whenever else the team is working on things, kind of getting in his work in and his rehab in for getting back to playing behind the plate. Um, you know, it's... It's not necessarily with him. It's definitely not a concern of service time or anything like that, like you might have with some other players. Um, so I think that the Tigers could kind of benefit from using him in this uh, in, a, in a little bit of a different role while they're still waiting for Victor Martinez to come back. All right, and with that, we will uh, start to wind things down here on the podcast. Rob, I want to thank you for stopping by. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you online? Uh well. Any and all of my writing online will be at Bless You Boys. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at BYB Rob, and I'm doing a majority of the tweet, the tweeting for the Bless You Boys account. All right, sounds good, guys. You can follow him at Bless You Boys on Twitter. Uh, it's always kind of fun to to watch those those uh, live tweets during games and try to figure out if it's you or it's Kurt or if it's somebody else. We should we should make a contest out of it, don't you think? Maybe uh, spot the tweeter, win a prize. Yeah, I think so. Um, any references to pop culture within the last 20 years are probably me. Uh, and anything <laughs> before your time is probably Kurt. And shots fired. Thanks again for stopping by. Rob, we will catch up again in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right, and with that, we will wrap up another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to Rob Rojacki for joining me on the show today. As we mentioned, you can find him at blessyouboys.com and on Twitter at BYBRob. You can follow me on Twitter at hookslidebyb or reach me at hookslidebyb at gmail.com. Make sure to tune in next Saturday. Mario and Pemba from Fox Sports Detroit will be joining us. You won't want to miss that. So until next time, good riddance West Coast baseball, and we'll see you next week on the Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha ha ha, that'll get him out of the old ballpark.